Palm Sunday reading. It's taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 16. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. (coughs) The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them and sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths and of infants and nursing babies, You have prepared praise for yourself. This is the word of the Lord. The king, but I wonder if you've thought of that image of someone about the size of me riding on a donkey. Uh, We almost think it comical. Why, Why would he ride on a donkey? Surely if he was the king that was coming, he'd be up on a majestic horse and he'd led be led by an amazing parade. Instead, it was a bunch of people who had organized and cut branches and laid them before him. Did they just cut branches and lay branches before everyone? No, because the trees would have no branches left. There was something special about Jesus. Now, the whole crowd didn't know it, but there was people that recognized it, and there was enough people to recognize uh, Jesus was special that they lined the streets and they laid the streets in order to prepare a way for him. What was the significance that Jesus came on a donkey and not a war horse? Uh, Well, the king that was at war came on the war horse. The king who had won the battle, the the king who came in peace, uh, the king that didn't need to fight in order to achieve uh, what was necessary came on a donkey. 
It was a sign of majesty. It was a sign of confidence uh, that Jesus rode in on that day on a donkey. A lot of people were saying, who is this man? And the people would have been saying, this man, this Jesus, has raised people from the dead. This man, this Jesus, has healed the sick. The lame who could never walk are walking. The blind who were never seeing are seeing. This is Jesus. Haven't you heard of him? He's the one that healed the official's daughter. The one who had a word healed the centurion's son. This Jesus heals people. This Jesus uh, walks into the city and what does he do? Is He looks at injustice. You, you see, the way that uh, the society had become organized was that the religious leaders had used their power to turn profit for themselves. And so even in the temple, you would see the money changers offering change of money so they could sell sacrifices in order that you could worship God, in order that you might be able to draw near. You needed to have a certain amount of money. So Jesus walks into the temple and he turns over the tables. And what he was symbolically doing is turning on its head the system that had been established amongst the people. You see, the, the law was there to lead people to God, to enable people uh, to have life uh, going well in relationship with each other and in relationship with God. The, the law was there that life will go well. The temple was there so that the people will be able to draw near to God, to know his blessing and his presence with them, and yet they turned it for their own benefit. And so Jesus comes in as a king that is for his people. Uh, lots of people use power for their own benefit. Uh, lots of people use power to run agendas that benefit themselves. Jesus came and he was a king that cared about people. I don't know about you, but I, I find it really easy to, uh, to follow a leader that I know cares about me. And I find it really hard to follow someone that seems like they don't care about what's important to me. Jesus had people lining the roads because he knew what was important to the people and they knew if he was king that life would change. As he walked in and as they lined the roads, they were expecting this king will come and take the throne, that his kingdom will be established from the top down. Finally, they would have a leader that led better than all the other leaders, the Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders that they'd had before. But Jesus was a different kind of king. He was a king that came with great humility. And he was a king as he rode that donkey, as he rode that road, and as he overturned those tables, was preparing to lay down his life. Uh, we're going to continue this story really shortly. Uh, but what I want you to do is... Take your palm leaf crosses and remember that this is the kind of king who Jesus is, the one who is willing to lay down his life for those who follow him. This is the Jesus that has laid down his life for you, that you may know God and walk with God. I've got a second reading from Colossians 2. Uh, the gospel reading paints that picture prior to the cross. We've just sang of what Jesus has done in order that his reign would be established in our hearts. And then Paul in Colossians tells us a little bit about how we then go on and live with him. 
No longer living under the law, he says, therefore do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink and of observing Sabbath festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. Uh, these are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and the worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows uh, with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? All these regulations refer to things that perish with use, that are simply human commands and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. Jesus comes as a king in order to establish his heart, uh, his throne on our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Uh, In the Old Testament, All the law was there to enable the people to live well in relationship with each other and to live well under God. But I don't know about you, but when I know that I'm on the Eastern Freeway heading down the Mornington Peninsula, there's a section where they have speed cameras every few kilometers. And if you get over a certain amount of speed on average, you're probably going to get caught, even if you don't get caught by one of them. But I know that if I push it up to about 103, I'm I'm safe. (laughs) We're really good at doing just enough to keep what we think is the law uh, in order that we don't receive consequences that are not beneficial for us. And we all know a speeding fine is very not beneficial these days because it costs a lot and that money goes nowhere to benefit you. So we, we try and obey the laws in order that we don't meet consequences. Now, there's laws that have no consequences, and uh, we find out on a weekday when parents from the school park on our property that, well, if there's no consequences, there's no learning. I've learnt that as a parent. If there's no consequences, there's generally no learning, and kids try to get away with what they can get away with as long as they can. See, law doesn't work. Law is a boundary that we always push against because we find that it constricts our freedom and so what jesus comes in and he doesn't promote lawlessness he promotes a law that changes the way that we live instead of the law being written on tablets and attended by rabbis in order to know exactly how to live out these commandments in life jesus changes things by writing the law by his spirit on our hearts Uh, What we celebrate in baptism is that we've died to an old way of living, that we are born again in Christ to a new way of living. And that's a a new way not governed by the law. And so when Colossians talks about don't submit yourself again to do not taste, do not touch, uh, do not handle, it's saying that's the old way. That's the way of law written on tablets that you need to do the right thing in order to please people and to please God. But the new way is actually God wants to come and live in us and change us so that we want to obey him. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, rabbis who study the law, that is Jewish leaders, they, they have all this rabbinic literature where they say this, this is the law, 
this is how to live with it. And so they'll have a list of things that you need to do in order to fit within the law. And it's very interesting that they actually stretch things and they land in different places in terms of their conclusions to what, as Christians, we might think that they land. Now, as a, as a Christian, we, we would say that uh, lust is not okay because Jesus says that. He says anyone who lusts is committed adultery in their heart. Uh, I heard a Jewish leader speak on this the other day. They, they, they say, well, the command is do not commit adultery. Jesus has raised the bar, but not for them. So what does that mean for a Jewish guy living in the world today? Well, well he said, well, if pornography doesn't interrupt your marriage, then it's okay. As a Christian, we say, do not lust. But a Jewish person says, well, as long as you know, you're not going out and you're not sleeping with someone, you haven't broken the law. Do, do you see what happens there? We, we stretch. Now, anyone who's anyone and has spoken to a psychologist about it knows that pornography affects relationships and how we see the world and it is not helpful jesus raises the bar uh, when someone is angry uh, jesus says well you may as well have committed murder in your heart a jewish person would say well you haven't committed murder so your anger uh, even though you haven't acted it out is okay uh, my grandma carried this heartbreak to her grave that she, she lived uh, near a, a Jewish person and her husband, my grandpa, fell on the road and it was a Sabbath and the Jewish person didn't help him up and he laid there in the gutter for hours until someone else came and helped him. Because the law isn't beneficial for us. And so Jesus comes as a king in order to turn things around, in order that life will go well for not only us, but for others. Uh, that we would thrive and that others would thrive. Uh, many people meet Christians and go, I don't really like Christians. And that's often because they see the hypocrisy of Christians rather than seeing Jesus displayed. And let me encourage you today, if you see anything in a Christian that doesn't look like Jesus, they're still growing into his image and they haven't yet arrived. But when we look to Jesus, Jesus is a good king who wants us to see him on our hearts. What does that mean whether he's enthroned on our hearts? It's that he changes us from the inside out. If you follow Jesus, he will change you and suddenly instead of having a law that you must obey, you actually want to do what is good for others and you actually want to do what brings glory to God. And so as we look to Easter, we look to the king who died on the cross in order to bring us into the family that we would know his reign, uh, not just in life, but in our hearts, that the world will be changed by people who are changed by him. I've got a little prayer on the screen, just a really simple prayer that I would love you to pray as you head towards Easter. Jesus, this Easter, open the eyes of my heart to see you as you are. Because it's in that scene of him as he is that we are transformed to be like him. So if you want to pray, it, uh, let me invite you to bow your heads and just quietly pray with me this prayer. Jesus, this Easter, open the eyes of my heart to see you as you are. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your great love for us and thank you that your love pursues us. Thank you that we don't need to measure up to a law to receive it, but we turn to you in faith and ask that you work in our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen.